0: Welcome to episode 45 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show of the 90s ever made, Frontline, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining us on this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, and Kim.
1: Yay! Hello.
0: And we have a very special guest reviewer, writer, TV personality, oh God, what are they doing on here then, and purveyor of fine humour, David M. Green. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Thanks for having
2: me. We love the show.
0: Uh, you're our first special guest for uh, the Frontline series that we're reviewing. So, awesome. Feel on it. <laughs> and,
3: and, we've, and we've really given you a rib tickler of an episode. Uh, this episode. <laughs> really dark. funny material this time.
2: Yeah, some dark themes, absolutely. Um, I think they might have struggled to make that a couple of years later. <laughs>
3: Definitely.
0: So we'll get into uh, your background, David. So this is where you brag about yourself. So you have every full ride to talk about yourself as much as you want.
2: Okay. Well, yeah, what do you want to know? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, first of all, shoe you're, size. You're, you're... <laughs> uh, U.S. or U.K.
4: Australian.
2: <laughs> I think we use the U.S. version, which I'm 11, but 10 wow. in U.K. That's the thing about being Australian. You know, you in the U.K. it's everything's U.K. size. Every in the U.S. everything's U.S. size. And you know, yeah. In in England, you know, mustard is. English mustard, obviously you don't need to say it's English mustard, but in Australia you need to specify whether you're talking about the American version or the British version, or in rare exceptions the Australian version.
0: <laughs> and you obviously need your size 10, 11 shoes to, sorry this is a horrible segue, to get, to do your other projects such as uh, a VHS Review, which is uh, can you actually explain what um, VHS Review is all about?
2: Yes. Uh, it's a web series that I started um, for fun, and now I'm doing it because I don't have any other work. And it's uh, uh, the concept is I go through old VHS tapes that people have used to record TV uh, broadcasts in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and then I cut together the funniest Stuff that's on it, which is inevitably the in the commercial breaks, you know, weird ads, um, stuff that maybe it wasn't funny at the time, but through the passage of time, um, that it's become funny, or you know, it's something that you can't do anymore, you can't get away with, or, or a, a product that no, or business that no longer exists, um, and so it's like sort of preserving that kind of Australian pop culture. Um, and also making fun of it.
1: See, I always wondered what I was going to do with these old Seinfeld tapes I have with the with ads on them <laughs> from the early nineties. Wow. Now I know I can ah. send them on to you for digitization.
2: What uh, What um, city were they recorded in? Sydney. Okay, no, that could so, be good. Yeah, good. There, there,
1: there could be some good ones. I can send them on over if you want, or I can digitize them and put them online, and you can see if you like anything.
2: Oh sure, I'd love to. I'd love to check them out because probably half of the episodes. Uh, from Adelaide because it's they're either my tapes because I grew up there, stuff that I recorded myself or stuff that relatives or friends had recorded. There are a few episodes from Melbourne broadcasts and uh, this new batch of episodes that I've, I'm releasing at the moment, there are some Sydney ones from the 80s that I got from um, Dan Illick. Dan Illick uh, said to me, uh, hey, I got this... Um, drawer full of vhs tapes and it's like you know those drawers that are like sort of wood paneled and it's got the slots for whole vhs tapes full one of those filled with 80s broadcasts from sydney television full of old ads and stuff and i just salivating at the thought of that and i said yeah i'll take them and i've been i've only gone through a few of them but yeah there's all sorts of stuff that's great which um yeah that's uh, some future episodes of VHS review there. So it's it's mostly Adelaide, little of Melbourne, little of Sydney, as a couple of regional broadcasts. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to get some like stuff from Queensland and Tasmania and Western Australia, stuff that I haven't seen before. Maybe some international stuff going going forward.
0: Other than being a Channel Thirty One Adelaide Channel Thirty One personality, you also <laughs> have been writing for one of your idols, your comedy idols.
2: Yes, uh, for the last eight years, I wrote for uh, Mad as Hell on ABC TV. Um, and yeah, Sean McAuliffe was like my kind of comedy hero. Um, probably the way you guys feel about The Late Show, I felt about uh, the McAuliffe program. Because I, I get the, I'm, tw- I'm 20, I'm 35. I get the feeling you, maybe you guys are a couple of years older than me. So you were a little older when The Late Show was on i was too young to watch it um so i only know i only know of the show through the best bits um i rented the videos and then got the dvds growing up but like yeah for me it was always the McAuliffe program um and full frontal as well which um you know sean mccullough and eric banner were kind of the standouts there so loved that kind of sketch comedy and you know if i could have done if if you asked me could if you could do anything uh when i was a kid what do you want to do it was like work on a sketch comedy show um so yeah very lucky that was actually able to do that and work with sean and it's it's all downhill from now so <laughs> well, yeah. look,
3: at, at least you had scored a souvenir out of that i do notice on your youtube channel you've got a short video uh showing that you are now the custodian of the uh pink neon mccall of tonight sign i'm
2: jealous yep yep <laughs> it's in my garage um can you believe nobody else wanted it? They offered no. it to Acme, and Acme did not want it. Wow. Um, fair enough, because it is massive. It's like the size of a pool table. And when I heard at the wrap party that they didn't know what to do with it, I said, I will take it. I want it. <laughs> don't throw it out. Um, so they yeah, they delivered it to my house in a massive truck. <laughs> it's just in the garage. And I don't quite know what I'm going to do with it we're thinking of turning the garage into an office and I guess I'll try and get it on the wall. But yeah, I've taken it out once to make that little video and then I put it back. It's got this huge custom road case. Um, yeah, but it's safe at least.
4: David, I'm, I'm curious. Did did you write any particular sketches or characters for, um, or did you write anything?
2: Uh, I mainly wrote desk pieces. So, you know, Sean at the, Sean at the desk with a little picture next to his head which we call the stills box and yeah he might might refer to an article or a clip from from the news or something and the joke after that was mainly what I did. Occasionally I would get something else on like a I wrote a fake ad for Bunnings which was um which was good and um uh those little we used to call them coming ups but we later started calling him three joke or TJ for three joke. It was when he'd say at the end of the show and not coming out, because we've run out of time and they usually do three, three of them. There'd be a a clip that was usually visually interesting. And then the voiceover, you know, saying something that put, you know, takes it out of context. We we wrote tons of those. And I think I only got a couple of them on, you know, a few interviews over the, over the years, but yeah, I, really really it was a big deal if you got a character you know if you wrote the name a fake name of a character and got that on that was that was a pretty big achievement because it was like eight, probably 80% of the show was written by Sean and Gary McCaffrey the head writer so that that remaining 20% was uh, that was up for grabs for all the, any all the casual writers they're about five five of us at any one time and you know a couple of people came and went over the years so if you got anything on it was a big deal and there were so many stages where it could get cut you know you could you could write something and then it doesn't you know that's it you could write something it gets approved it gets into the approved folder but then it doesn't get recorded because something's happened in the news that makes it uh, irrelevant or uh, something there's too much material that week so they don't get around to it you can make it to the recording, and then it, for whatever reason, it doesn't work. It doesn't get the right audience reaction, or it goes out of date after they've recorded it, and they can't use it in the in the show. Um, well, they might they might use it in a future week, or they might change it. And but yeah, there's so many spots you can just be devastated. <laughs> your material doesn't make an (laughs) answer it was always a big deal if it actually made it to air
1: so did you still get paid for the bits that they just employ you for a certain amount of time to write the sketches and then or is it just if you get it all
2: very very luckily it was a flat day rate so if you got nothing on at all you still got paid the same although if you did too many of those days you would start to panic because i think it if you did a whole season of that you probably wouldn't get invited back the next year but that was i think that's a better way of doing it than what how they used to do it on full frontal and fast forward which was you got paid by the minute of material you got on air so you might have a you might get paid for one minute anyway anything beyond anything above that if you got two minutes of material on the show you get paid for two minutes that was bad because you know you could write a lot of stuff and if it didn't get on you didn't get paid and also it would encourage the writers to not collaborate because if you wrote with somebody else then you'd have to split the split the money because there's two names on the script and also it would encourage the writers to write these really lengthy sketches just to kind of eat up the time that was what sean experienced on full frontal and so he made the decision that, no, we're not going to do it like that for his shows. That was just a flat day, right? So it worked, it worked well for the writers. And I think it made, it, made the show better because he mm. took that pressure off, well, that, that immediate pressure off. There was still pressure, but <laughs> yeah, it's a different kind of pressure.
4: It, it's certainly a huge loss to Australian television, Mad as Hell, going. I mean, you look at what the co- Australian comedy that's on now and it's just unwatchable quite a lot of it and yeah I I think I'm gonna be missing as Hell for many years to come so I'm very sad that it's gone.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: Well thank you very much for filling us in with that information, David. That's really, really cool and I am not worthy.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
0: and I have a tweet and it's a Head and Tree." tweet. <laughs> And it's from a listener, uh, it is AB at East 13 Melbourne, where they're referring to not us, but an episode that we had covered. Um, and it's more or less calling out the writers of frontline. AB has said back chat and pedantry. Nikki Burke is introduced as 19 years old. Later Brian and Jan talk about her having been on the Commonwealth, having been to the Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh in which is 86. And Auckland, 90, 1990. I say that makes her 12 years old in Edinburgh, so it's a child prodigy story for Marty.
3: Oh, yes. Mm. I really hadn't thought about that. That's a good pedantry. Normally we go Mm. over all of this stuff in forensic detail, Mm. but, yeah, that just completely slipped us by.
0: So credit to you, (laughs) East13Melbourne, on Twitter. Good spot. David, I believe you actually have something. you brought something to the party.
2: Oh, is this the clip that I asked you to get? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, it's a smooth segue there. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I thought. I thought you know this is a late show related story, and I know you're talking about Frontline, but you know you talked a little bit about Late Show in some of the earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Um, so I thought you know it's a good 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 spot to share this anecdote that I've told nobody. Um, so uh, this is an exclusive. So one of my other jobs is um, when I'm not writing comedy is I'm a radio panel operator for a sports radio station. And uh, I've been doing that since uh, 2012. And when I first started, I, I used to work with uh, Rex Hunt. He was one of the commentators uh, for AFL football. And he um, has a great sense of humor, Rex. And I really liked working with him. He loved to do sound effects and that sort of thing. Occasionally. Uh, they would do a, what's called a TV game, where the commentators don't actually go to the ground where the game's taking place. They actually go to the, they stay in the radio studio and they call the game off the TV. And so, most of the time, I didn't be like, what well, was wasn't in the same room as Rex. But every now and then, I'd see him on it when they did a TV game. There was one time, uh, he was there at the station, and after the game finished, uh, we were just hanging out and there was um who else was there i think sandy roberts was there as well Uh, he was the other caller for that game and a couple of tech guys and we were just hanging out and there was a, a laptop there with youtube on it and what inevitably happens when you're in that situation is you just start showing each other clips and i think rex was showing us some some stuff from so this is about ten years ago, and he was showing some some clips from about ten years before that uh, of him like yelling at someone who was smoking at the MCG. And after that clip finished, one of the recommended videos that came up on on YouTube was his appearance on the Late show when he was uh, singing T-Rex. And he's like, oh, watch put, put that on, let's watch that. And he's actually a pretty good singer. Um, so I, I, brought a, I brought a clip There's one particular bit That made us all crack up laughing And we'll just have a listen to this And then I'll explain it afterwards
3: You're like a car You got a hubcap diamond star halo You're built like a car Oh yeah A Nissan Patrol You're a mountain youth That's the truth With your cloak full of eagles Not West Coast You dirty sweet You're my gal
2: yeah, so when uh, when Rex uh, says Nissan Patrol, he just cracks up laughing, and he says, "Can you believe that? That's the it's the ABC, which you know you're not allowed to mention brand names on the ABC." And I said, "Did you get approval for that?" And he said, "No, nah, but it's live. What are they going to do?" <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Who says so, you yeah. can't advertise on the ABC? eh? <laughs>
2: Uh, as long as uh, as long as it's live and you don't tell anyone I guess, you know, I guess they never invited him back so yeah but yeah. <laughs> N- N- Nissan Nissan Patrol was his actual sponsor um, on his uh, fishing show and I think he still drives one to this day so they got their money's worth
0: that's fantastic did he ever share stories about being born and spawned in Bay D- uh, <laughs> no, 13 no. <laughs> I
2: never heard I, I mean I've I've heard that rant. I think I heard it on Get This. Um, I didn't actually know Rex was a footballer or broadcast uh, football before I moved to Melbourne. I only knew him as um, the fishing guy and and from that clip from the late show and uh, these ads for DV Milk, which was a brand of milk that was available in South Australia in the mid-'90s.
3: D- uh, um, DV standing for
2: dairy Vale
4: and nothing else nowadays. Yes, he <laughs>
2: probably wouldn't uh, pick those those letters those letters yeah. now. But I like him. He's uh you know he's a nice guy and a great sense of humor. He he br- brushes some people up the wrong way, I know, but um you know he used to say, you know, when we're working together, he'd say, remember, you know, we work as a team and we do it my way.
4: <laughs> so that's
2: as long as you knew that Well, you did it Rex's way when Rex was there. You you didn't didn't have a problem.
0: (laughs) And Alison, you've got something as well.
4: Yeah, I don't think I'm the only person who spotted this, but there's a new Netflix series starring starring Celeste Barber, who you might know from Instagram and various other things, which launched this week called Well Mania. And and the basic story is that she's a journalist who's been working in New York and she comes back to Australia and is forced to stay um, in Sydney and live with her mum, and her mum is actually played by Genevieve Müey, who, of course, is Jan in Frontline. So I was like, "Oh, wow! There's Jan."
0: Did you get uh, with your English accent? Can you can you do it? Are you no, feeling better. No, I'm
4: I'm not I'm not doing Jan again because uh, I, I'm not very good at it. Really,
0: I'm putting you under pressure. You've Sorry. only lived
4: in England for twenty odd years. 23? <laughs> <laughs> 20, <23. laughs>
3: Considering I don't know what Genevieve's regular accent is, is she is she doing an, an English accent in Wilmania or is it uh, something no,
4: else? No, I, I, I think, I mean, I've never met her, so I don't know this for sure, but I think she's probably just doing her normal voice. I mean, you know, she there are bits of it and you can see where Jan came from, but basically she just exaggerated her voice and made it sound a bit sort of British or, you know, d- dramatic, I suppose, um, when she was playing Jan. Right.
0: She does play the mayor's wife in the dish. Don't forget.
4: Oh yes.
0: Yeah. Wearing Why am lemon. I forgetting
4: that? I should be I should know all this stuff.
0: Yeah. It's a not
4: a big part to be fair. No. <laughs> oh Jesus!
3: <And> it's the <laughs> old genie's program guide.
4: Always makes me <laughs> laugh that clip.
3: <laughs> Alright, so uh in this week's edition of the Green Guide, it's the first one to be published with G codes. Perhaps tying this a bit into VHS review. um, uh, Do you remember what G-codes were, David?
2: I know of them. I never used them. Um, You discussed this last week, didn't you? It might
3: have been last week or the week week before. Um, So, yeah, basically it's a a way of uh, being able to program your uh, VCR for recording a lot easier. Uh, It's uh, built into some VCRs. Otherwise, uh, you can uh, pay money for a palm-sized device that you sit on top of the video, Um, and it basically acts a bit like a remote control, basically turning on the VCR, sending it to whatever channel you have it set as, and essentially, yeah, pressing record for you, and then, you know, one hour, two hour, whatever the time slot is later, uh, pressing stop and shutting it down.
2: Did it work with with barcodes?
1: No, that was the Panasonic barcodes that were around a few years prior. So they're different to the G-Code. So I found an ad in an old copy of Who Weekly from 1994, which I put on my Twitter a few weeks ago. But it's basically introducing the whole concept of G-Code. It says, if you can dial a phone, you can now program a video. It says, no, really, the new G-Code instant video programmer is so simple even an adult can use it. Look in your television guide and you'll now find a special G-Code number after every show's listing. To tape your favorite program, simply look up its number and punch it into your G-Code instant video programmer, which basically looks like a kind of a little, just a a calculator. Um, That's it, G-Code does the rest and the programmer works with virtually all remote control VCRs, stores up to 12 programs at once and requires no installation. You'll find G-Code wherever VCRs are sold. 131124 for more information.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what the really cool thing? The best way to describe G-codes to the, I guess, millennials or whatever gen it is now, think QR codes. And you just get your remote pointed at the QR code, bam, done. It's it's that type of concept.
3: Well, see, there's an example uh, in the uh, explanatory article explaining what G-codes are. Even for the more technically literate consumer, the G-code programmer has advantages. Uh, for a start, using the G-code is quicker and more reliable with fewer commands needed. Power blackouts will also have less impact. For example, where you have programmed the VCR to tape an important program, but there is a brief mains power failure while you are out, or someone accidentally switches the VCR off then on again, unless the VCR clock and time and memory have power backup the correct time and uh, time of program may be lost. The G-code programmer, on the other hand, is battery-operated and unaffected. Provided mains power is restored to the VCR before the scheduled program time, the G-code programmer will turn it on, switch it to the des- uh, designated channel, record the program, and then switch it off.
2: That's such a specific <laughs> set of circumstances in which it <laughs> has an advantage.
3: Well, see, mm-hmm. like, this is also s- supposing that um, and you definitely could not say this about TV networks today, uh, that everything is running to schedule, everything is running to time.
1: There's no buffer in this, is there?
3: Like
2: um, unless, unless you wanted to record the, the like 7 p.m. news on the ABC, which is always on it, exactly, always starts exactly at 7 o'clock.
3: Even the 6 o'clock news services, I think they start bang on 5.59, I think, from memory. But like the the further you you get these days, it's like like even mad as hell it was something like eight thirty seven ish was always yeah. the start time.
2: How you, how you're supposed to account for that?
3: Exactly. So um, I mean, <laughs> I mean the other thing is that uh, the G code wouldn't work these days anyway because everything's digital now. So it's this interesting sort of relic um, of um, of the VHS era. So yeah, if you wanted to record uh, the episode of Frontline, uh, we're uh, going through this episode, you'd have to type in 419. And somehow the way the codes worked, it was some sort of an algorithm which determined what the number is as to what channel and the time slot and all the rest of it. A bit of a weird uh, ner- nerdy, nerdy note there, sorry.
2: Were the codes universal or was it just for Australia? Would it work in any country?
3: I assume that they would work in any country. So, yeah, if there was something on A Channel 2 at 8 o'clock on Monday the 6th of uh, June, uh, then I suppose you'd have to... um, And it went for uh, half an hour. No, sorry, 28 minutes, I should say. Uh, Then you could probably put in 419 as well. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm having a look at the the listening here. If you wanted to record the 8.28 news update... That's 2600273 for those two minutes of airtime.
0: It'll take you two minutes to enter it.
3: <laughs> you would be, be better off just standing in front of the telly and just pressing record and just, you know, making a cup of tea.
2: This is like that uh, that device that someone invented that, like, makes juice and it needs these pods to, like, make juice. Oh, and yes. The idea was that you'd sell this, you know, that you'd, you'd sell this big device thing big expensive device and then you'd get the little pods but people worked out that you could just get the juice directly from the pods without using the device so just, like just was... by
3: just by squeezing
4: it in your
2: hands. yeah just by squeezing it with your hands <laughs> i like, can just do this i can just press record with my finger
4: <laughs> why can't you just go to the supermarket and buy some juice
2: yeah i mean don't don't bother with the it... pod
4: yeah just buy some juice, for God's sake. <laughs>
3: um, now, also later on on Monday night, uh, it happens to be the 50th anniversary of the Normandy D-Day landings. Channel 7 had American coverage uh, hosted by Bryant Gumbel and Katie Couric. Um, and uh, Channel 9 uh, also had a uh, one-hour special uh, hosted by Tracy Curo. So, again, really fun stuff tonight. <laughs> Uh, but uh, there was also something else which caught my eye later on in the week on ABC in their big picture time slot on Thursday at 830 There is a three-part series hosted by Jonathan Ross. Uh, have a listen to this intro
5: But what is an America? They like to think of themselves as being the contents of some great metaphorical melting pot But I prefer to think of America as a delicious blender drink in which various cultures have been pureed together, each having left a solid bit of clumpy matter that stubbornly refuses to be sucked up the straw. And that's the drink we're serving this evening. So open wide and prepare yourself for the tasty treat we call Americana. So
3: this is Americana. Uh, the latest Jonathan Ross series, uh, which, according to the Sydney Morning Herald guide, uh, the ABC has fast-tracked into its schedule after just two years shelf time. Duh. Wow.
2: <laughs> Fast-track. Wow. But it
3: is—it's a fascinating three-part series. Uh, the episodes are titled "Fat, Dumb, and Rich."
4: I remember. I remember that there was the first episode was basically about food, wasn't? That's the yeah, that's the fat, yeah, that's one, the fat right? Yeah. And then there was another one that had a lot of stuff about like pornography and and sex workers and and stuff, which I assume is dumb. Is it? And uh, rich? I'm not quite sure, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, I very vague. I wouldn't memory. Be rich.
2: Wouldn't well, we? they, well no, these, actually, these yeah, wasn't
4: there? <laughs> Wasn't there also like there was a guy who was like a a millionaire or a billionaire or something, and he employed a lot of sort of young, sexy women to basically be servants around his house, which you know, kind of, I guess the modern equivalent of that might be Andrew Tate with his various women <laughs> hanging around his his Romanian mansion. Oh wow! Um, I think I think that was on Americana, anyway it It obviously showed the most tasteful and best bits of america
3: well uh, certainly in in the uh debut episode uh you get to see uh Wassey basically doing well what is probably de rigueur these days, which is one of those big meal challenges trying to uh you know eat a huge plate of i think it was a hamburger and uh well, you know, like a big pound of hamburger um and you know if you eat the whole thing within a set time limit it's free uh spoiler alert. He doesn't last. If you are interested, uh, if you do uh, pop in uh, Jonathan Ross Americana into YouTube, uh, you can watch this series.
2: The intro there sounded a bit like Alan Partridge with the kind of <laughs> metaphor about eating <laughs> eating America.
3: Yeah, something kind of interesting uh, that you can uh, set your G-code to. And what's the number there? <laughs> oh, darn it. You've, you've got me... Uh, sorry, I've I um, got, you, got your G-spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm having Sorry. to because I'm reading really all, of, really all off the scans off my phone, and I'm having to switch from the guide to the uh, the SMH guide to the uh, the other green guide. Oh damn! it it's not in here. It's in the next step. Uh, it's in the next uh, edition because uh, it only goes up to Wednesday. Uh, look, it doesn't matter.
4: Going to miss it then? If you and if you, if <laughs> and, and if you know card, the G code, write in. And, you know,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> if you, you don't know the G code. That's a myth, then.
3: I mean, the, be- the best oh, I-, I can do is that there's a... Um... <laughs> Thank you, Thank <laughs> you. If you can't find the G code, it's a myth. Yeah, oh, if you, if
0: okay. You, if you can <laughs> find the machine, uh, tweet at me, oh, at
3: online, and I'll tell you the number. Oh, no, hang on, hang on. I found it here. I found it here.
1: <laughs> no, you haven't.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I have. I have.
1: It's 44064. 44064. I'll write that down. It's just after
3: the damnation of Harvey McHugh. Two nine one four seven, starring a very young Aaron Blaby. You might not know that name for his acting ability, but you might know him for his um, uh, children's book writing ability. So stuff like uh, *Pick the Pug* and *The Bad Guys* and
1: *Film with the Unicorn*. I think is the other one he's well one known oh, yeah. for. Yeah, my, my daughter used to read those when she was small. But uh,
3: yeah, there was there was, there was an, another show on the ABC about this time called *The Damnation of Harvey McHugh*, a satirical series about a naive young public service clerk and a corrupt government minister.
4: Very odd series that it was. It's basically like you know a televised play, stagey, and the set is really, really fake, sort of cartoony. It's it's very odd sort of program.
3: And uh, yeah, also starred uh, Philip Cross, Monica Morn, Ronald Fork, and Roger Oakley. Anyhow, we've we've gotten way off topic, so uh, I think it's high time back we get back to the G codes. You got to find really? those G codes. <laughs>
2: Can I just say uh-huh. before we, while we're still talking about G codes, yeah. my, my dad, one of our VCRs had like a remote that had a laser scanner in the in the in the on the edge of the remote that was supposed to be. Remember my dad saying, "Oh, that's for you scan a barcode and it records it." But I would never saw it used and don't know how it worked. I don't know where these barcodes were.
1: Yeah, they were in TV Week. They were the Panasonic ones. Yeah, yeah. you'd have the program guides every day, and then there'd be. In, on the right-hand side, there'd just be a list of several key programs. There wouldn't be all of them. It would just be some selected ones, and you could scan that in and program it that way. But the G-code was uh, was different to that, but, but similar. Same, think, same, but different.
3: I, I, I think the, the only other way to use that Panasonic barcode scanner
1: was a very convoluted way. There were,
3: like, generic barcodes in the manual from memory so that, you know, there was one for you know, the, you know, one to 31, you know, days of the month. There was a, you know, another one for January to uh, December. And you know, like, basically, eventually, if you scanned in enough barcodes, you could put in the, like, yeah, it was it was probably easier to just do it manually.
2: I think the only use we got out of that remote with the scanner was I used to put it in my mouth and turn it on so that a laser would <laughs> make the inside of my cheek glow red.
0: And coming soon, a spin-off podcast called "The G Spot," discussion all about G codes. Coming to your podcast, it really theater. is
4: real. I promise you, it's real. <laughs> See
0: you there. Cool. Guys. All right, that's it for me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you very much, David. We're going
4: to talk about the episode at some point. Yeah, we are.
0: We're running yes, so please. over time right now. Sorry about this,
3: David. I'm going to get you to do the introduction. Yes. This is where you get to do your very best uh, Mike Moore impersonation. All
0: right. Okay, so I'm going to play the generic theme now. And then as soon as the theme stops, you say your Mike Moore impression. All right. And
2: then it goes straight into it. Do I have a small amount of time to fit it in?
0: You can take as long as you want. The quicker, the better. All right. I'll tell you when. So just listen out for the sustain. All right. Here we go. It's coming up.
2: Hello, I'm David M. Green. This is Frontline Season 1, Episode 5, The Siege, broadcast Monday, June 6, 1994.
0: You're a legend, David. Thank you. (laughs) Please. Cool. And this episode, yeah, the rundown of it being uh, when a gunman with several hostages holds up a remote farmhouse, the race to get... The best coverage is on. Frontline's questionable methods bring a storm of criticism, but they have their ratings and nobody got hurt. Surely all's well and ends well. But this one, I, I, partial trigger warning, I guess, because it's based loosely on the... When they say loosely, it's nearly a parody of a real-life uh, situation that happened. At the time of this recording of this episode, of this podcast... Yeah, 30 years ago.
3: Yeah, it happened on the 30th of uh, March, 93.
2: Uh, is this Waco? Is that what that was parodying? No.
4: What Waco was happening at the same time as this event, actually. The siege we're talking about here is the Kangai siege, which actually kind of happened in the middle of Waco because Waco actually went on for about a month. But, yeah, so there was this obviously big, high-profile international siege Waco, and then there was the Kangai siege, which was a huge story in Australia at exactly the same time.
0: So, yeah, the whole basis behind this was that in real life there was three guys who uh, went on a nine-day killing rampage across Queensland, New South Wales, uh, and they ended up kidnapping four children and holding them hostage in a farmhouse in Kangai. Right. Which is uh, northern New South Wales. And the whole... Thing what was extremely controversial was Mike Willisey, uh, on A Current Affair had tied up the phone line. So everything that happened in the episode of Frontline was harsh satire towards real-life events.
3: But yeah, like, It seemed to be plausibly verbatim what happened uh, with the Kangai siege. I say, I, I say plausibly because, I mean, obviously, you know, the writers weren't there, so who's to really know? But yeah, basically, it starts with uh, the episode starts with Brian in his car using a car phone, which is a very 1994 thing, basically uh, rallying the troops together because the the siege is happening. You know, finally uh, going that, all right, you you better get Mike in as well.
0: Yeah, but Mike is AWOL. And so Marty and Stu, they're on time. So usually there's like a, a, uh, in frontline episodes, there's a, Two or three story arcs going on at the same time, right? This one episode, it's one full story arc with a tiny little hint of a B story, but not too much on it, because with this, everyone is on the same case.
3: Although to be to be fair, like each reporter has their own sort of uh, different take on it. So you know, Brooke is interviewing the the gunman's mother. Uh Marty, Stu and Jace are um, you know, close to the farmhouse where the siege is happening. And yeah, Mike is uh like Emma and Mike uh are uh, doing that uh, the interview with the gunman over the phone.
0: did you notice that when Marty and Stu were going to the helicopter and Stu was a bit hesitant on it, the pilot gave him the bottle of whiskey.
4: Yeah. Well as long as the pilot didn't drink it, I guess that's okay.
2: I missed that pick up
4: yes yeah, it's, it's quite subtle but it, it's there the other thing we haven't mentioned is when they're trying to find Mike they get his answering machine have, have you got the answering machine
0: I'm not playing it because okay out of context I believe it's not right
4: well even okay. if
0: it's
3: a uh, as as the as the script book says a pathetic Joe Bijorke Peterson impersonation
2: I thought it was Tony Martin when I heard it. <laughs>
4: I'm pretty sure it's Rob Sitch doing it, but right. it's, it's a very, very poor Sergio impression.
0: Oh, hence the reason the pumpkin scones.
3: Speaking of which, like the, the, the only other person I, I, I can think of uh, that uh, did the Joe Bjorki-Peterson impersonation was uh, Jerry Connolly. Yeah. Yeah. Has, has, any, has anybody checked up on, on him in the last six months or so to make sure he's all right? Oh,
0: because of the Queen as well?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I assume he's essentially pivoted from Queen to King impressions by now. I'm pretty sure he had a pretty good
4: he Charles to, by He used then. to do a Prince Charles. Yeah, he used to do a Prince Charles. But, but also Max Gillies did a Joe Biocchi-Peterson impression as well.
1: Okay. So,
4: yeah. I mean, I think anyone who could do voices kind of did Sir Joe, including kids in the playground when I was at school.
1: <laughs> Career aspiration.
3: I think, I think also it kind of says... a bit of something about mike that he's he's using that as his answering machine message like i don't know whether sir joe was a thing still in 1994 or whether that may have been a deliberately dated reference Hmm. what do you
2: reckon
4: i i think it's a deliberately dated reference and he's just so daggy yeah
2: (laughs) yeah it's like five years out of date because he stepped down as Premiere in like nineteen eighty seven, and the the inquiry stuff was I think that dragged on into the early nineties.
0: It's Gerald inquiry,
2: but yeah, yeah it would it. it would
3: make sense that uh, Mike still thinks that it's funny enough to to put on his voicemail.
0: But with the episode, Marty is pissed off that the exclusion zone um, they have got going is five kilometers from the actual farm, and Mike Munro um, has the prime spot with footage of Mike Munro. Now the th- thing is though with that snippet, do you think Mike was actually part of the episode, or would have been taken as a sample from the actual? Well, the script, real life, the script says that it's, it's
4: footage of him. Which actual it's footage. Like, it's file footage that they got from Channel Nine yeah. or somewhere, and
3: it's it's such a quick cutaway in the show anyway yeah. that, that you, you would think. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no way that uh, Mike himself would have done the actual cameo, as much as there are in the, in the whole series. Yeah. Uh, you know, actual, actual people playing themselves. Next thing we see uh, is uh, Brooke arriving uh, to interview the gunman's mother. And uh, uh, even, even that is, is uh, pretty interesting in itself, especially what comes up in, in, this, in the script book, because it sort of it explains some of the, the, the stuff that's happening uh, just in the actions.
5: Gavin. Come on love, give yourself up, let the kids go, let them go.
1: Mrs Forbes, do you have any 9 volt batteries? I've got some right here. <laughs> we were changing our smoke alarms, just coincidental. Uh, but yeah, you can't. You, you always have to have a, ba- a backup, don't you?
3: Speaking, of which we are recording this podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> like just before that, uh, Brooke is uh, is getting uh, Mrs Forbes to you know sign a a release, and uh, you know explaining that uh, you know it's just an exclusivity cause. It's it's uh, more to uh, protect you than it is to protect
1: us. Yeah, because there are some unscrupulous people out there. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. she says that on some other current affairs shows can be really unscrupulous. Yeah, yeah, just like, unlike Frontline, of course.
3: But then so, some of the, the directions which come from the, the script book are, are really interesting. So, like, as soon as the paper is signed, it says that uh, Brooke takes it from her and immediately snaps from caring into professional mode. Mm. And then later on, when uh, Mrs. Forbes is uh, doing her, her big sob piece, she indicates to crew, you better be getting this big, juicy, teary scene. So, like, it just, it says, it says so much more than just the, the looks do, really, that, you know, like, this is the one shot and they absolutely blew it.
2: You'd, you'd think if they're making a sign that, that they would be paying her as well, right? Because, uh, I mean, what's in it for her to not talk to any other networks?
3: Yeah, it, it does seem kind, kind of weird, especially considering that, uh, you know, they're asking, uh, you know, what would you like to say to Gavin, you know, through us?
1: Well, I guess it is kind of a, a breaking news thing and there isn't time to really talk about formalities of paying someone when they really want to get it to air.
3: This wouldn't have happened if we had Harry and Miller. The ticket seller, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but Brian is trying to assemble a team to get good vantage points of the siege while dealing with his son. Turning up into the office, which is provides a bit of a distraction. That's your B side story arc. It, it
3: also seems to be one of the very few kind of real points of humour in this is just seeing Damien, aptly named Damien, running a mark,
2: messing with the auto cue. That actually, it's one of those old auto cues that takes real paper, whereas now it's just it's all electronic. It's just a screen. And
1: just he's got similarities to to, to Mike when he plays his Game Boy and is interested in the in the computer games and the flashing lights and just basically causing a distraction.
2: Yeah, messing with the camera zoom as well.
0: I got to say, the the Game Boy reference is a nice throwback to Episode One, especially when Mike's
1: gone. Oh yeah, I know that game. And he, and he knows yeah. it's, it's Mario. and That's what someone pointed Super out. Super Mario Land. It was the oh, same game that he was playing. He
2: wasn't playing Mario Land, Super Mario Land this time. He was playing something else, Double Dragon or something. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I think, I think they, they say the name of it, or there's a reference to the name of the computer game. I didn't reckon. It's not one that, that I played when I was a kid, so I didn't didn't remember we, it. We
0: need our, our pedantry listeners to find out what, what it is, yeah.
1: Yeah, I can hear them now screaming. Screaming at their phones yeah. or whatever they're game. listening. Weird. No, it's whatever game. Well,
3: I can I can shed a, a tiny bit of light, again from the the script book because in the uh, in the script, uh, Domenica uh, asks Damien uh, whether he likes Mortal Kombat. Although, mind you, it's Mortal Kombat with a C in the script. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I know like I'm I am no gamer whatsoever, but I definitely know that Mortal Kombat is with a K. But yeah, on screen it's Double Dragon.
1: So, uh,
3: yeah, if there is an actual Double Dragon um, video game and it's interesting, um, yeah, tell us what it's all
2: about. I don't know if you guys can hear the Grand Prix fireworks that are going off all around me, but extremely yeah, I was wondering loud. if that was coming
1: from here.
4: Yeah, I started <laughs> hearing that. I, I think it's quite appropriate, actually, because there's a reference mm. a bit later in the episode about um, what the 7.30 report are showing opposite front line and it, and it should melbourne have the grand prix which i guess well well daniel david and i are all having flashbacks to all the heart-wrenching stories about adelaide losing the grand prix in the 90s yeah. and, <laughs> and then melbourne gaining it so a bit of a rivalry between the two cities at that time around about the grand prix
2: yeah it was i think it was november or december 93 that it was announced that it was going to move to melbourne in 96
3: yeah, 1995 so was the last one. This
2: is a few months later. Um, so it was already a done deal by the time this, was, this episode was airing.
0: Marty and Stu get aerial shots before the police chopper uh, make them land, and that's the pure uh, replication of Mike Monroe doing that because that's what he did. So that's the parody of that. Then because of that, the police end up holding a conference.
5: We cannot stress the importance of media cooperation enough here. Already negotiations have been jeopardised by
0: one media organisation breaking the air exclusion zone.
5: Now, there are people whose lives are at risk here. Negotiations with the gunman have been halted as we are now unable to get through to him. It appears that he has left the phone off the hook. Now, I implore you once again to please observe the
0: media restrictions we, we have in place. Now, that's all I've got to say at this stage. There'll be further conference at uh, five o'clock. That echoes the real police conference uh, when all that stuff was happening in real life
5: too. Uh, There is the difficulty in which our aircrew was placed by another helicopter in the area that was in a prohibited area. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, That put lives at risk. Uh, They're the type of things that I'm concerned about.
0: Yeah, it's pretty damn close to it. Mm. But I forgot to mention too that Emma got the gunman on the phone as well, so that's when Frontline had kind of hijacked the siege behind the scenes.
3: Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it was Emma who, who, who did this because up until now and for the most part of the whole Frontline series, it seems like Emma is always the one that has a conscience about what Frontline's doing and whether they're on uh, the right side of what they're doing. But, um, yeah, she finds the number and dials it and, uh, yeah, manages to
1: to screw everybody else. Yeah, in true 90s fashion, she has to switch over to the landline in order to kind of get it recording and she's got to hang up the mobile and (laughs) this whole procedure that you wouldn't actually get it today. Did
0: anyone notice, with Marty and Stu, what Stu was wearing?
3: Oh, no, I didn't
0: notice. Call yourselves Australian comedy fans. Go on. Look at his T-shirt very closely next time. Oh, tell us. <laughs> oh, fine. Okay, he's wearing a Colin Carpenter T-shirt.
4: Ah, yeah, a Colin like Carpenter a proper, T-shirt. Uh,
0: official Colin wow. Carpenter when he had his spinoff.
4: I didn't even know they existed. Oh, from from the sitcom Colin. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we, Col- with the Colin um, Carpenter,
0: the Superman-esque yeah. type logo on it. Walk out world, here
3: I come.
4: Yeah. Wow. Okay.
3: <laughs> no, see, I was I was
1: looking for a different Colin.
3: Ah. Uh, throughout the episode
1: <laughs> Colin Conica <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah so you, you get to see him really clearly at uh, 9 minutes and 8 seconds into the episode so uh, so yeah this is uh, Tom Gleisner sitting in the background uh, fixing a photocopier he's in almost every yeah there is... <clears throat> yep. there Conica he is there. watch he's in the background of just about every episode uh, especially in the first season I'm not sure if he's in the second or third seasons.
4: There's a nice bit of business actually with this Conacher where he takes out some long metal thing and he's got a brush and he's kind of holding it up and sort of brushing it like, you know, he's he's dug out a sort of ancient Roman pot and he's an archaeologist <laughs> carefully brushing it or something. It, it's a wonderful bit of business going on in the background. There's also
3: um, a bit of audio I have uh, of uh, Tom Gleisner speaking to uh, the ABC TV show about TV called funnily enough TV TV um, he's speaking to James Valentine about his uh, little cameo role
6: here. Now Tom DJ fans may be wondering why you yourself have such a low profile on, on Frontline uh, were you tired of acting? Was there no role for you to do? What, what's, what's the story?
5: Um, basically acting roles in Frontline were handed out according to ability hence I'm the photocopier maintenance man and I do make regular appearances but my back is the camera but watch out for me.
0: TV. I wish they could bring that back, TV-TV. The only thing that we got close to it is Media Watch.
3: Well, actually, there's a, there's a sort of a, a weird thing. I haven't, re- I haven't mentioned much about TV-TV, uh, to be honest, but very soon the show is going to be on a one-month hiatus as production shifts from Melbourne to Sydney. Um, in fact, it also uh, gets a change of hosts. Um, uh, it was initially hosted by uh, Simon Townsend, um, and with the shift to uh, Sydney, it uh, gets two co-hosts: um, Mark Mitchell and Tiffany Lamb.
2: When did James Valentine start doing it?
3: Not long after Simon Townsend
0: did, I, I believe, because in one of the episodes uh, when Simon Townsend was hosting, James was on the panel.
3: Yeah, he was. He was more like a TV reviewer in that in on that show, really, rather than the host.
0: Now, Mike finally turns up to the studio after uh, going missing and he had spent the morning doing lapsed go-karts for a charity event. When he arrives, all hell is breaking loose.
4: Yeah. Now, the guy yeah, has gone all the control. Control. We're got We're What up. i on camera. this Is
5: one? a nail. Well, just a few moments ago, I managed to make contact with the gunman himself, Gavin Forbes. Hello, Gavin. It's Mike Moore here from Frontline. Hello.
0: Smooth, smooth. You, out.
4: you missed out my favourite bit. Just before that particular moment, there's a there's a guy, well, I don't know, someone dressed in a, in a kind of bird, furry bird costume, who's obviously from some kids show, and, the, and <laughs> Brian sees this hilarious character coming through goes, you, out, like this, and then, then you get into that all that chaos that you just get there.
0: Oh, yeah, because he would have been kicking him out of the studio because they're throwing live, you know, trying to get this frontline uh, yeah. interview recording. They, yeah.
2: they did use Studio 31 at uh, ABC Elstonwick to make kids' programs. It was also where they shot The Smallest Room in the House, which was uh, uh, like a stand-up special show in the yeah, late 90s. That. It was called that yeah. because it was the smallest studio. Huh. Um, In the building. It's it's where they they used to, there was two. There was Studio 31A and 31B. One of them they recorded the uh, Melbourne News and they did that until 1994 when they moved uh, production to South Bank, which is where it currently is.
0: That's wicked. I love knowing the history of the TV studios and you just go, obviously when you have walked in, when you've been doing your stuff, you go, there's rich history here, and I'm about to soil it.
4: Yeah,
2: thirty-three, so not thirty-one. Thirty-one was the big one. Yeah, thirty-one, thirty-two, the two big ones. It's where they made the late show, and the big gig, and then yeah, around the corner were the two little, the two little ones.
3: I can uh, shed a bit of light on uh, the name of that uh, guy in the chicken costume, because he does turn up a bit later in the series. His name's Wacko the Chook. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's just—it's like... <laughs> yeah, a, a duck equivalent, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. Except pluck that he didn't
3: speak, except for honking a horn.
4: Well, that's kind of really what Plucker Duck did. But yeah, we'll
3: see. We'll see a, a fair bit of him later on in the series. Sounds like Shirty's cousin. <laughs> but yeah, it's just—it's—it's an—it's an amazing scene leading up to uh, the actual phone interview because, like, reading it on paper it seems a lot more sedate than, than the, the milestone that's on screen. Speaking of the phone call, here's
0: the... Uh, uh, which one shall I play first, Mike Moore's or A Current Affair?
3: I reckon play, play Mike Moore first and then let's see how it compares to the real thing.
0: Okay, all right. So here's Mike Moore talking to
5: the kid on the phone. Hello? Hello. Hello, who's this? Amy. Hello, Amy. My name's Mike Moore. Do you know who I am? Oh, huh. Uh, Amy, are you afraid? (laughs) No. Have you enjoyed this adventure?
3: Yes.
5: Is Daddy there? Guns. Guns. And is uh, he pointing the gun at you? No. Put Daddy back on the line, Amy. Thank you.
0: Now, here's the real-life Mike Willacy, A Current Affair chat.
6: When do you think that Leonard will let you go?
5: When the female police gets here.
6: You want to go? Yes. You want to get back to your mum and dad? Yes. Okay. Is your sister happy? Yes. What's her name, Trevor? Tonya. What is it? Tonya? Tanya. Could I talk to Tonya? Okay. Hello. Hello, Tanya. How are you? Good. I'm Mike Willisey, Tanya. Yes. Are you okay? Yes. That's more chilling, isn't it? Mm.
0: I don't know how to explain it other than the fact that it, A, it was very controversial and now I'm I'm going to get a little bit more serious but with all this that stuff that was happening um other media reports and all that like other radio TV shows were trying to do the coverage of it too getting the phone number and getting through but
3: that's the the kind of interesting thing about this because there's also an episode with Media Watch on YouTube uh that dissects the, the Kangai siege as well and it does reveal that yeah it wasn't just Mike Willissey speaking to the gunman on the phone there were a couple of other uh everyone and, and in and, and radio. Seemed to
4: have, they, didn't he say something like 11 media organizations or, or 11 programs talk to them on the phone and you think it well, no wonder the police couldn't get through every every media organization in the country is on it
0: yeah and well, here's one where uh, Mike Willis had a right of reply and actually got a uh, someone who decided to...
6: Uh,
4: is this the psychologist? This is, this is this a, a psychologist. psychologist, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, disagrees with Mike, definitely, on this.
6: Among the most vocal critics today was child psychiatrist Brent, Watt, uh, Brent Waters, I'm sorry, who challenged us to let him state his case on air. I'm joined now by Professor Waters. Professor, you say you were appalled. Why? Firstly, the impact the fear that it will cause in many of the very large primary school aged audience that you've got at that time of night. We're dealing with horror here for example a 14 year old girl being stabbed and shot dead and the viewers including the children hear that and see the remains of the body being removed. That's horror isn't it? It certainly is yes. How did we take that any further
4: in terms of horror?
6: mm. Well firstly uh, you interviewed two young girls at a time when they didn't know that they, were going to be, uh, that they were going to be rescued. The whole context of it was a, was a, a typical situation. But the children watching then knew those children were free. They weren't afraid for those children. I we to... gave them no more horror and they knew the children were free. Yeah. What children do, though, is they think, when, when will this happen to me? What's the danger in my neighbourhood?
0: Very disturbing and uh, psychologist spot on. Mike gets put in his place if you listen very carefully like the psychologist is resisting and yeah just have a listen carefully there were
6: radio reports that one child was dead and the other may be dead yes. and the question I put to that man was can I speak to the children the... I was concerned to see if they were alive and if they were, were they safe Well, I, mean, I guess you make a judgement about whether you want to be the news or whether you want to report on the news in this instance you are being the news I discovered those children were alive and I received a promise they'd be freed, and that happened forty-five minutes later. Mm-hmm.
0: That professional resistance, I, I I, I, yeah. I, I, me, me, me. Exactly, yeah. and if you watch arrogance,
4: the... real arrogance of it as well.
0: Yeah, if you watch yeah. the clip, which is on YouTube, um, then you'll see it's more of a visual context of. Uh, we're live on TV. You have just proven me that to me that. It's all about you and not about the children.
4: There's a bit later in in that episode, um, that interview with the psychologist. The psychologist basically says to him, "The very fact that you have aired this conversation with the gunmen is going to inspire other people to to take hostages or you know do things like this, and then then get in touch with media organisations. and And that's obviously part of the plot of this episode of Frontline. That actually happens. But also it happened in real life. There was another siege, which is less well-known, that happened in Brisbane towards the end of 93, I think it was, where um, I think it was a gunman held a bunch of people in a legal office, like a lawyer's office, overnight and actually rang one of the current affairs shows to get on air and talk about it. You know, I want to have my say. This is why I'm doing it. You know, and so... This is the thing, they're basically doing it for attention, really. Yeah. You know. So the psychologist was bang on about that.
3: I was uh, reminded a lot about this episode of Frontline uh, when the Lint Cafe siege happened in 2014. Because one of the things that uh, the gunman uh, tried to get hostages to do was to call, uh, you know, talk back stations and uh, TV stations and, uh, you know, trying to get the gunman's point across. And I just, I like, it just sort of imme- immediately brought uh, this episode of, well, of Frontline to was, mind. Was
2: really. One of the reasons he chose that location was because it was opposite from the Channel 7 Sunrise Studios. Was that part of his thinking? I wonder.
1: Yeah, it could have been. It's right across there. That was right across there, the Martin Place area, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, oh, like the Channel 7, they had to relocate they had to leave the building and their news for that day was like uh yeah they used the control control room from brisbane and had the journalists i think maybe in melbourne or something like that so they ended up rerouting through their other um other studios in other cities in order to do the coverage But i just i just don't imagine if the gunman if a gunman called up i don't think they'd put the phone call to air live on tv and if it was on radio, I don't imagine they'd do it on radio either, but if they did, you'd, you'd have it on delay.
4: I mean, there, there was that example of, I think it was the, the Channel 10 show Alan Jones Live, where he would put callers to air live. And and he, Alan Jones had been ranting about some government official. I can't remember the name of the official. Let's just say they were called Joe Bloggs. And then someone called, who identified themselves as Joe Bloggs rang up the show and and so they put Joe Blogs live to air, and it turned out it was it wasn't the same Joe Bloggs. In fact, it was probably someone just pretending to be Joe Blogs. And he said, "Oh, here you've been talking about me on the show, Alan." You know, and it and it just became a farcical, ridiculous kind of thing. So I guess that has happened, but yeah, you would think that any current affairs program would not put anyone who was sort of, you know, holding people host- hostage essentially. You you might put someone else live in the way that talkback radio does, but not someone in that situation.
2: Yeah, well, speaking from my own experience in radio, if you're in, if if you're you're interviewing a guest who you know, you generally aren't in delay. But if it's talkback callers and you don't know who they are, you you have to be in delay, and it's ten seconds um, yeah. at most radio stations now. It's not seven seconds; it's ten because it makes it easier to. Time out to the news and stuff
4: makes you wonder what whether there was a delay or what it was on this Alan Jones live program.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, there's no reason why they they can't they can't do it for TV, and then you just smash that dump button and it just gets rid of the last ten seconds and doesn't put it way
3: How often uh, have you had to yeah, hit dump?
2: Me in my
3: in your in, in your in, in your day job
2: in my career, I've probably done it thirty times. I've worked. I've worked with some people who've never done it, and they're they're terrified that someday they might have to do it. But you do enough talk back segments, and yeah, you're having to do it. almost almost always because they swear. Um, I've never, yeah,
3: I, I, yeah, I I I assume it's yeah, it's it's more the f bombs and c bombs than yeah. uh, anything legal.
2: Yeah, I don't. I've never. I don't. Think I'm across legal cases well enough to know whether I should dump something or not in that situation. But mainly, usually you can tell if someone's about to swear as well because they sound a bit drunk or they sound like an idiot. <laughs> it's fun. So you know, <laughs> it uh, can be a lot of fun dumping a, dumping someone. It's a rush. <laughs> Forget drugs. <laughs> Become a panel operator uh, during late night talkback. <laughs>
0: After the rundown of the phone call and Brian's son mucking around with the camera Mike crosses to Marty who's crouching down to make it look like he's dangerous in a dangerous area And recapping what's going on which is five kilometres away But I just love how Mike says a particular word
6: Well Mike, the siege is now in its 12th hour Still no sign of a breakthrough Police have managed to uh, make contact with the gunman and trained negotiators are currently speaking with him. Have any shots been fired? Not (laughs) at this stage, Mike. But uh, police have warned us, uh, the media here, of the very real dangers around. We believe he's heavily armed and we're just confirming reports that Forbes is actually a former war veteran.
5: So we could have a Rambo
6: situation? Go, Michael. That's not out of the question. Thanks for
5: that, Martin, and Martin, keep safe. Thanks, Mike. Fire, fire.
1: Fire. I wrote that fire down as well. The... <laughs> Did everyone else write <laughs> that down?
4: <laughs> it, it's very John Laws, isn't it? You know, fire. that international. I oh, mentioned
1: John Laws in this episode. Valvaloon.
4: Valvoloon. Yeah.
2: It's just all speculation about they don't really know anything. Oh, it's just yeah, no a, all, It's a no Rambo no thing. It's all, it's,
4: it's yeah, all, he's a military very, veteran.
3: Yeah, it's, it's all these very nod, nod, wink, wink, uh you know kind it's of sensationalization about, about how, uh, you know, about how he, he might be nuts. so you know we're not um we're not saying it outright but uh, we're just asking questions
0: yeah yes well, praise around the Office because uh the another new show covers the recap of frontline as well uh, as well as the siege ending um and they kill it in the ratings like absolutely destroy the rivals, uh, but there is backlash now. The police are blaming Mike for holding up the phone and putting the kids in complete danger.
5: I've been in the game 15 years, and I've interviewed everyone from the Dalai Lama to Sharon Stone, and, and I, I think that counts for something. Well, Mike, there's a lot of people who don't share your confidence in your own ability, and one of them is the Chief Commissioner, Mr Frank Gray. He is on the line now. Mr Gray, good morning. <laughs>
0: Awkward. Dull. But, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I just love the fact that Dalai Lama to... Sharon Stone. Yeah. <laughs> and
4: a, that that it's a specific range of people, isn't it? And you know, I think people in a hostage situation are outside that range, shall we say?
1: Mm.
2: And you probably don't want either of them to uncross their legs in front of you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that as well.
0: Yeah, you don't want Dalai Lama to do that.
2: <laughs> no, because he's wearing a <laughs> robe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Apologies, sorry for making. Does it Does that way. even make oh, sense? I don't. <laughs> oh, I got it. I got it. I,
4: it. It's it's like a Scotsman in a kilt. What's underneath? Yeah. I mean, we've done we've done G-spot jokes earlier, so you know. Let's, let's go. <laughs> just, just don't
1: make the at one with everything joke. <laughs> if you remember oh. that. Yes, I've, I've seen
4: that. <laughs> mm.
0: So, uh, but Mike chats to Brian about his doubts um, over the way that he handled everything on the phone, uh, and. Jan comes in and explains how everyone wants to interview Mike,
3: including John Laws.
1: Never seen Jan so excited.
3: Yeah. There's, a, there's, also, there's also in the script book, uh, Jan mentions Ernie and Denise, I'd think about that one.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, no that's interesting, that. isn't it? Yeah. I like the bit in, when Jan's in and, and she's saying to Mike, which photo shall we use, darling? And there's basically one of Mike looking very serious at the desk, and there's another one with him kind of chillaxing with a guitar. And and Mike's sort of finger goes towards the one with the guitar, and she goes, "No, no, 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 that that one." <laughs> <And> <laughs> just sort of encourage, encourages him to go for the proper newsreadery type one.
2: Why even give him the option?
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Make him, no, to make him
2: feel like he's making the decisions.
4: <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's because they wanted to put a joke in at that point, I think. Yeah, anyway. well, uh, much much good. needed because, um, yeah, there
3: was I mean quite a lot of uh, backlash to the real Kangaroo seat as well. Um, I've 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 got a, a clip here uh, of uh, the day after uh, them to- them talking about it again on TV TV, and uh, you'll you'll never guess who uh, thought that the interview was a good thing.
6: You know, I can't believe that criticism today of television, the medium itself. For putting this material on air. I mean, it's the essence of good television journalism. I've been a journalist for 31 years and I would have been proud to do an interview one tenth as good as that. I think it was one of Michael Willis's finest moments. But you're only you're celebrating Michael Willis's journalism there. Yeah. I mean, he's only concerned with getting the good story. The only thing he got it. To, the only thing he wanted to do last night was make great television. And he made it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, your support of this type of journalism really makes me angry. It's like everything sacrificed to get the good story. The journalist becomes. Some kind of hero. What I'd like to know is who cleans up afterwards, you know, who takes responsibility for what happens afterwards.
4: TV,
3: TV. Yeah, none other Bad than the host me. himself, Simon Townsend, mm. reckoned it was a good thing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I would say probably, uh, like again, it doesn't seem like it's a good thing ultimately, but I'd say probably for that initial rush, I can understand why uh, Simon thought that.
4: It's it's sensational, and you know, you if you had it on, you would be gripped by that Willacy interview. It it is a really astounding piece of television, but but when you step back from it, you realise what a bad thing it was. When you yeah, when you actually yeah. think about yeah. it,
3: after Brooke and Stu managed to oh well, sump everybody again, yeah. basically with an with an exclusive interview. Do you reckon that would have been Harry and Miller again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every time ticket seller,
0: um, but yeah, they get him on board uh, with Frontline, and Jeff gives praise to Mike uh, for all his efforts. You know, Jeff, the weatherman.
6: Everybody's talking about you, mate. Really, mate? I was in the canteen. Yeah. Bumped into Helen, and she who, said which, that who, you know Helen. Oh, Helen. Helen, yeah. yeah. And she said thanks to Mike Moore, our rate card is up a thousand bucks a spot. Thousand bucks. What's a rate card? <laughs> <Did
3: it>? <laughs> <laughs> you know Helen. You know, Helen. Helen, the one with the shaking <laughs> hand. I don't know what the shaking hand is meant to mean, <laughs> but R-
0: write in if you know. Yes, is she related to Jenny, as in Jenny Jenny?
4: Oh, not My... not Mike, not, not microwave, microwave Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> After that, um, you know, while Mike still has his doubts, the police commissioner gives Brian the third degree uh, over interfering with the police work.
6: Mate, everyone was safe. It might not have ended like that. You know and I know that you risked that kid's life. Frank, you're getting a bit overdue.
5: You took a stupid risk. We knew that bloke was nuts. Nobody got hurt. But they could have. You endangered people's
6: lives.
0: That echoes that whole willis going, hey, no one got hurt. Yeah. Yep.
3: And it's a, a great little sweary with the, uh, the swear words muted out uh, performance there.
0: That was really intense acting, like uh, just delivery of each uh, scene. So it was more of a drama than a comedy with this episode. Yeah. yeah. And while they still pander to Mike's ego, uh, especially giving him a copy of Time magazine, Australian edition.
4: Australian edition. <laughs> I, I which quite... Marty promptly yeah, tries time. to draw a moustache on, which is quite funny. Yeah, I think it's funny
1: that he just uh, he doesn't look at the actual headline, has the media gone too far. It's just the fact that he's on Time. Australian time yeah, route. and they
2: doesn't they matter. frame it even though it's not really that good uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: doesn't matter it's just it's just time not
3: exactly yeah. complimentary
0: uh, but Brooke celebrates after getting the exclusive interview with Gavin from the courthouse and then sometime later Brian tells Mike there's another siege happening and the government wants to talk to Mike exclusively only yep and well everyone knows the end yeah, the yep. most awkward punchline ever. Here comes the punchline. Mm. Yeah,
3: but really, I mean, that's the whole point of this uh, of this episode, really. That yeah, nobody is endangered in these situations until yeah. they are. Yeah.
0: Until that um, megaphone that is live TV.
1: Yeah. So would there have be been a ten second delay
3: there? You've got the whole of Australia watching and listening. What do you want? I want you to hear. Bang! 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 Yeah. Cut to a shop to Mike Moore, and then cut to credits.
4: Yeah. yeah. Just like the psychologist said would happen. Exactly. He
2: did. Yeah. And it's it's such a great point they make, and it's not even a satir- satirical yeah. point. It's just a point about like you know being sensible yep. with the responsibility that you have as a media organization. And it, I, I I watched that, and I, it made me think of the Port Arthur massacre which happened after this. And I immediately thought, man, I don't think they would have been game to do that if they were making it in 1997 because the trauma would just be too fresh in people's minds.
0: God, you make a good point
2: there.
4: Yeah.
2: It reminded me of uh, during the Port Arthur situation, there was an ABC journalist who did manage to get Martin Bryan on the phone because she was calling around. She was calling locations around because uh, he, he ended up in some cottage after the massacre, which he tried to burn down. Yeah, I actually found, found this um, account about it. So this is by um, Richard Lower, who was the ABC TV news editor for Tasmania at the time. And he wrote uh, an article for the Asia-Pacific Media Educator um, in 1999, which I, I guess is a journal. And it's called uh, Port Arthur Massacre, a TV Editor's Experience. He says, there was another incident where a reporter spoke to Bryant, and until recently she was one of the very few people who had heard his voice. We had dispatched her on the Sunday afternoon, and she was innocently ringing around various locations around Port Arthur. She rang the Seascape Cottage, who, and who should answer the phone but Bryant, and she got into conversation. It was only very brief, and he ended up hanging up on her. She returned to the office that evening really agitated, saying, I've spoken to him. You've got to do a story on him. We decided that we would not pursue that particular angle because we had half a dozen other stories involving witnesses. We were also very sensitive and wary because we remembered that time when, the, uh, in brackets, the Channel 9 television networks, a current affair host, Mike Willesey, had spoken to hostages in a helicopter siege and the last thing we wanted to do was get involved with that type of reporting, where there were so many other angles of the story to cover. The 7.30 report picked up the story a few days later, but I often wonder whether I made the right decision. I don't know, but I would probably do the same thing again.
3: It's amazing how the one siege, it's, it's like it sent ripples out to the rest of the media about the way it conducts itself. I mean, obviously, it, it, it had a, um, a lasting effect uh, in the writers of Frontline, but also uh, you know, a lasting effect, uh, you know, on the news media as well.
0: In fact, i got a snippet here of Tom. This is from TVTV TV as well. Tom Gleisner talking to James Valentine.
3: A lot of TVTV TV tonight.
0: Yeah, uh, in regards to this episode.
5: Tom, uh, am I right that the Brisbane and the Kangi Cedars were in some way the inspiration for the whole series? Yes, that's a pretty much a, a correct statement, James. We've um, been looking at all the excesses of the media over the last year or two, but if, if any one event brought them most clearly into focus, it was the, the behaviour of uh, a certain current affairs program during those sieges.
6: What did you and the
5: others find most disturbing about the actions of the journalists and their, their justifications afterwards? Well, the, the behaviour spoke for itself, the fact that they tied up a phone line to, to a farmhouse and uh, went in and spoke to a gunman who was at that stage holding a gun to, you know, the heads of some kids. But it really was the glib um, justifications afterwards. Basically, it worked out fine. No-one was hurt. So what did we do wrong? And that clearly wasn't the point. It might not have worked out like that.
0: So that sums up exactly what you just said, Daniel.
3: Yeah, and... Uh, look, I know that it's this is probably not as uh, hilarious an episode as uh, of Frontline that we've uh, compared to what we've had previously. But really, this is the writers really making their point. Now, like it's 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 probably summed up in a short review that uh, was uh, published in the Sydney Morning Herald Guide by uh, written by John Casimir. It goes like this: uh, the current affairs industry has barely flinched over Frontline. In a sad indictment, the response from the bods at ACA in real life has generally been along the lines of, we were expecting something really nasty and this isn't too bad. Frontline's accusation has been, you're liars, cheats and unscrupulous manipulators. The response has pretty much uh, been words to the effect of, yeah, so what? There hasn't been more than a glimmer of righteous anger from those being so savagely satirised. And it doesn't take the proverbial rocket scientist to read between those lines and get the message. The reality is much worse. This week's episode shifts up another gear on previous efforts, palpably meaner than before. The program's intent has always been thinly veiled, but this week we're talking wafer thin. The entire program feels like it has been spat out in disgust. A quasi-fictional retake of uh, last year's Kangai Siege, It features a gunman at Weirpointer in Victoria who has taken his kids hostage and bailed up in a farmhouse. The police set a five-kilometre media exclusion zone around the house. This is not good enough for Frontline, of course. They send the chopper up to get better shots of the house. And meanwhile, back at the office, Emma has tracked down the number of the farmhouse and has the gunman on the phone line, waiting for Mike Moore to arrive for an exclusive interview. If it all sounds familiar, that's because it should. There's even a fair amount of dialogue that might ring bells. The targets here are as big as the sides of barns, and the best program on TV demolishes them with zeal. So, yeah, not, uh, not the funniest uh, episode, but um, a hell of a lot to say.
1: It's got its moments. Yeah, this is one of the episodes that uh, I think a lot of HSC students uh, would be very familiar with because it's one of the prescribed texts. I was a uh, I was in year twelve at the time this came out, so I was way too young to <laughs> to, to have the uh, the ability to, to analyze it for for my uh, university entrance score. But uh, um, I noticed a few quite a few people um, when it came back came onto Netflix uh, or YouTube people were looking at it thinking, hmm, they they either loved it or hated it. They either had bad memories of, of all the, the work they had to do for school, or they it was one of those ones that, that really changed changed them and, and, and got them to analyze and, and realise exactly how the media operated. I just noticed when I was looking into the um the reactions and, you know, Mike Monroe was uh in the helicopter at the time and apparently there was not a no fly zone. Um and so he even though um so he, he said he was well vindicated by the police who never said there was a no-fly zone police helicopter came at us like a, an angry hornet and the police pilot was heavily criticized by a judge at trial and he still had no regrets but there is a apparently a um a show crime investigation australia last year and there's an episode called the kangai siege and it actually has um people's reactions and and thoughts about it so that apparently is on seven plus so I might have to check that out and see see what that's what that's all about um but but they definitely they interview the the detectives and other people that were affected by by the siege so I think that'll be worth worth watching just to see what the um real life story was about
4: yeah there's numerous um interviews with the kids I think on some anniversary, have now adults, of course. Um, so there's there's plenty to explore about the Kangai Siege if you're interested.
0: That concludes Frontline Season One, Episode Five, and the Champagne Comedy Podcast Episode Forty Five. Hooray, forty-five episodes, yeah. and you're all still holding Yay. in. So, Phil, <laughs> sorry, that's such a dark episode. No, what we just done. <laughs> so, email. Uh...
3: Yeah, th- thanks, th- thanks for for sticking in with this. Uh, yeah, considering it feels like this has been one. Big down. Yeah.
0: God, what an episode that I did to choose you to get the... Oh, come on, David. I promise if you want to come back, I'll put you on a more positive one. Well,
2: that's that's why you need me here. It's, uh, <laughs> just raise the, raise the mood a little.
0: bit. You are a purveyor of fine humour, mate.
3: <laughs> well, look, if, if you're looking to lift your spirits up, there's plenty of episodes of VHS Review.
0: Yes.
2: Mm.
3: And We're Yes, I should episodes. say uh, <laughs> they come out...
2: They come out fortnightly uh, for the next several months. Um, so, yeah, we've lot, got lots in the can. So, yeah.
0: Where can we find VHS Review?
2: Uh, full episodes are on YouTube. Um, if you prefer to watch things in a compromised aspect ratio with extra crap on the screen, I have a TikTok account as well, VHS <laughs> Review. Um, and uh, and that's,
3: that's R-E-V-U-E.
2: Yes, Review with a U. I don't really like the name of it I couldn't think of anything better and now I'm stuck with it so that's where I'm at
0: also uh one personal question is good afternoon Adelaide coming back
2: uh no no plans um we were looking at maybe um doing a podcast version of it but then my wife and I had a baby and um oh. it's just been a bit logistically difficult at the moment because um, all, all the other people involved in the show are in Adelaide and I'm based in melbourne so i could only work on it when i went back to to visit but uh yeah all the episodes of good afternoon adelaide are on youtube as well
0: we need more norman vine in our
2: lives (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice escape for me
3: Uh, two of uh, david's uh, previous projects good afternoon adelaide and also uh, his uh, previous game show 31 questions are available on ctv plus uh, which is a uh, live and catch-up service for the two remaining community TV stations in Australia. Yes, community TV is still a thing, thank goodness. So, uh, yeah, if you go to ctvplus.org.au, uh, you can uh, see those two series. Also, one quick one, uh, your suit, with
0: 31-question suit, do you still have the blazer?
2: With the question marks on it, yes, I do. It's, uh, <laughs> it's in the cupboard. It still almost fits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need to put that in a museum.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't think Acme would be interested. They're not interested in the McAuliffe Tonight sign. <laughs> I doubt they would want this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One can only hope. All right. Well, as I said, c- this concludes uh, the Champagne Comedy Podcast episode 45. Uh, feel free to email us at show at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter when it if it's still alive or whatever, at TLS Champagne. Uh, website champagnecomedy.com, Facebook, the Late Show page, uh, as well as sh- search for Champagne Comedy Podcast Group on Facebook. So it's on private. Answer the three questions and you're in. If not, I'll just accept you anyway. And also Redbubble too, 2, where we're trying to raise money for the podcast to pay for the subscriptions and stuff. BIT.ly slash champagnecomedy. As always, thank you so much, Alison, Daniel, and Kim, for coming on. And. Also, David M. Green, our major special guest. Thank you coming on, mate.
2: Thank you. Thank, thank you. And I do love the show and I really appreciate uh, what you put together and all the research and time you put into it. It's a fantastic research, uh, a, a resource that will um, hopefully last for many years and be very valuable for future <laughs> generations. So well done.
0: Time to wrap it up, I think. <laughs> Catch you next time on Matt. See you later.
4: Bye. Bye. Fire.